Well, and I mean, the, the concept of social justice is that you're working to make society better and more just. And we know that as as believers in, in the Bible and in Jesus, that this world is um, going to come to an end at some point, that things are going to get worse before they get better. And, and yet, so there's that there's this tension of, you know, working in the here and now to make this world better, while also realizing that uh, this world is going to come to an end at some point, right? And um, so, yeah, social justice by itself is is empty. But social justice coupled with the gospel is, is hopeful. It makes a difference in the here and now in people's lives. Um, it shows disinterested love and kindness without an agenda, without manipulation. You know, we're not here to just be kind to you if you accept Jesus or if you'll come to my church. It's just, we love you. And that love in itself is the goal. Today, October 22nd, 2019, marks an important anniversary for Adventists all around the world. 175 years ago, on October 22nd, 1844, William Miller, along with thousands of other early Adventists around the world, believed Jesus was going to come. And yet, of course, he didn't come. Thus, the day has somewhat infamously become known as the Great Disappointment. I had the personal privilege to attend the anniversary camp meeting-style gathering at William Miller's farm this past Sabbath near the town of Whitehall, New York, just a few short miles from the border of Vermont, where the story was retold about how he first began studying the book of Daniel and eventually came to the 2300-day prophecy in chapter 8 and calculated the time when the prophecy would end, sometime in his mind around the year 1843 or 1844. Of course, at first, he was unwilling to tell the world what he had discovered, but after a series of providential events, he committed his life to the Lord in the maple groves I got a chance to walk through just a few yards from his home, and from there went out and began preaching the soon coming of Jesus. Now everyone who accepted this belief in a soon coming Savior eventually became known as Adventists. Thus his farm is literally the birthplace of Adventism, and eventually Seventh-day Adventism in the world. But why would Adventists want to commemorate something they obviously got wrong? Well, because it became the catalyst by which Adventists re-examined the scriptures and through that process discovered that the problem wasn't with the date, but the event. Instead of Jesus coming to the earth in the fall of 1844 to cleanse the sanctuary, instead it was realized that the cleansing of the sanctuary was taking place in heaven opening Adventists up to a system of truth that eventually became the pillar with Jesus at the center of the worldwide Advent movement we find today. Now on this podcast, we have talked about the judgment on many occasions. And as we work our way through the book of Daniel, we will surely talk about it again as we study the 2300 day prophecy in more detail. But for now, I wanted to try to flesh out the broader implications of the judgment to make it more practical for us today. So to do that, I invited my friend, attorney, and colleague in ministry, Steve Alred, on for a discussion about this topic. Therefore, this episode is not a monologue and neither is it an interview per se. Rather, I think you will see that it is a deep dive discussion into the implications of living in the hour of God's judgment, particularly as it relates to how we do justice in the world today as we wait for his soon coming. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. So without further ado, let's get right into it. So Steve, so glad to have you on Adventology today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for inviting me to be on, on your podcast. Yeah, Steve, and uh, we have been... Man, we've been friends for at least uh, long time. S- yeah, sixteen years or or, or so. 
Uh, me and Steve, we we uh, we met in seminary uh, back in 2003, and I can remember. I believe we met doing outreach ministries uh, in Benton Harbor, um, mm. and we would mm-hmm. do the street ministries uh, on Saturday afternoons. We'd go out and and kind of just hang out with uh, people in Benton Harbor, which for those of you who don't know, it's kind of a, a depressed city that's uh, very close to Andrews University, which is where we went to school. And, uh, and we'd go up there and just hang out with people, pray with them, uh, you know, uh, bring the kids to a, to a, an outreach for them. And, uh, you know, it was good times, huh? Totally, man. Yeah. It was a little cold, really cold. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> I'm glad I don't live in Michigan anymore, but yeah, really good, good memories. Yeah. And I distinctly remember you talking about that incessantly about how uh, great California <laughs> was. <laughs> Oh, and man. Uh, and how miserable whim. Michigan was. And for those of you who don't know, I, I'm also <laughs> a Michigander. So mm-hmm. uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I took offense to it. But now I'm in Florida, so I guess uh, I must have. You must have rubbed off on me somewhere because uh, I'm I'm out of the cold now. You've seen the light, man. You <laughs> moved to a warmer climate. Yes, man. Well, I'm excited. You know, you've. I was able to go on your podcast a couple months ago and uh, your podcast is called uh, Do Justice. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, it was great to have you on on the podcast a couple months ago. Um, so Do Justice is a podcast that takes its name from the biblical passage in Micah chapter 6, verse 8 that says, He has shown you a man what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? And the theme is to talk about um, justice in society, social justice issues as they relate to faith. And so, yeah, we talk about a a wide range of things and try to connect it back to um, our faith in God. You know, it's it's a... um, podcast for people of faith, but people who are not necessarily believers in God can still perhaps enjoy listening. And um, we'll have people on who are not necessarily Christians, but uh, who are, you know, interested in, in doing justice. So that's, that's kind of the, the focus. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you were a big influence in, me starting Adventology, actually, um, I know you mentioned it on the episode I came on your podcast, but you, you know, we have, we, at one point we were going to start a podcast together and, uh, we, you know, we, we went over it and, uh, seriously, we're, we're going to do it. And, uh, you know, life was happening and, and it just ended up working out where we each started our own. But, uh, really if it hadn't been, for your, um, you know, encouragement in that area, I'm not sure I would have ever started Adventology. So uh, thank you, man, for being such a good influence on me. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I think the same could be said here. You've definitely encouraged me. And uh, yeah, I don't know. We just didn't quite get off, get that off and running, but maybe in the future we'll do, we'll do something together, you know, after we kind of these these podcasts run their course you never know hey uh anytime man i'll have you back on here again you're 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 the you're the big guy now man i gotta just you know (laughs) you got all the the followers mine aren't quite as you know exciting of topics maybe so anyway but no i'm it's it's just fun to be here today i'm really excited to to talk with you and and get to be on adventology yeah and i and i really wanted to kind of take this episode to discuss um, a topic that uh, is sometimes misunderstood uh, in the Christian world at large, and even within the Seventh-day Adventist Church, which which you and I are a part of, um, and you served as a pastor for, what, about 10 years, I believe, give or take? Um, and uh, Close to 15, yeah. Oh, okay. Seminary. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then you, while you were pastoring, you pursued a law degree and, and now, 
Uh, you are a lawyer as well. And uh, so, so when we look at this topic of, uh, of judgment, um, I really wanted to get your take on it. And, uh, and, and so kind of the first question I guess I wanted to throw out to you is, you know, why, why do Christians have such a hard time with seeing God as, as a judge? Um, what, why do people see that as a conflict with God as love, um, which the Bible describes him as, and, and some, I, I perceive, have had difficulty reconciling those two aspects of God together. What what is your thoughts on that? I think we as humans uh, understand God to the best degree that we can based upon our own experiences, right? So if we look around us and we see judgment being meted out by human beings, uh, we see, you know, our, our human concept of justice and judgment it's often uh, divorced from love. It's it's often divorced from mercy. In fact, in our justice system, our court system today, uh, there's not really much mercy that's a part of that. And so, uh, if you you know are are trying to just understand this concept of a God who loves you, who whose primary attribute is love. Uh, I can see how for some people it would be difficult to reconcile that with the concept of judgment. And yet, I think that it can be done. I think, I think in fact, it's essential to God's character of love, that God also uh, has a part in judgment. Um, and, you know, the other aspect of reason, the reason why I think people may have a problem with that is that I think God is often portrayed as being an angry, wrathful God who's out to get you. If you make a mistake, he's going to burn you in hell forever and ever and ever. If you uh, don't believe in him. And for a lot of people, that doesn't make sense. You know, they say this is uh, unjust, unfair God. And so all of these, you know, preconceived ideas of God, these ideas of God that are taught in popular religion, theology, I think have colored our our view of, of the concept of judgment as well as, as who God is. And so some people have given up on God completely. Other people have created a God who uh, only is permissive. Um, that's the only aspect of, of him that they can, you know, handle talking about, thinking about. And, um, and yet I think that God is a God of love. And yet there's also, um, the concept of judgment the Bible talks about that is not contrary to that character of love, and we can talk about that as we continue here. Definitely, and you know, I've talked about this quite a bit in in earlier episodes of Aventology about this dual aspect of God's character. You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. it: um, justice and mercy together is kind of the two streams that come out of God as love. So you can't really understand God as love unless you have the the balance between justice and mercy um, to, you know, working together. And, and when you focus too much of, of, of God as love and then you just focus on mercy, um, then you, you get this kind of, you know, grandfather type God that winks and, and doesn't really expect us to... Um, to measure up to to anything, um, and then on the other side, if you you know just emphasize the, the the justice side of God's love and and not the mercy, then then you know that's the classical kind of uh, hell hellfire and brimstone type sermon that that fear uh, will 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 be your ultimate motivator to serve God, and mm-hmm. uh, of course we don't want to be on that side either. So, so I see the two together kind of, kind of creating a harmony, kind of a, a third way, so to speak, that, that creates, I think, a, a great picture of God. Um, is that something that you um, ha- have seen in your own study and experience? Yeah, it is for sure. I, I think the, if, if we could just kind of boil it down to where the rub is for some people. So if, if you accept uh, this concept that, first of all, God is love, as as he describes himself. And 
you know, of course, first John, I think it's four verse eight talks about that as what, you know, seems to be his primary attribute. Right. Um, and then you say, well, all right, but the Bible also talks about judgment and God holding people accountable or at least allowing them to experience the consequences of their actions, let's say. Um, you know, some people have the pro- a problem with, uh, well, okay, let, let's talk about, you know, oppression, for example. Um, if my children are being harmed, I'm a parent, um, I love my children and I want to deliver them from pain and, and, uh, something that's hurting them. Right. I actually get angry. Um, if I I would be angry if someone was purposefully hurting my children. Right. And, uh, so I think there is that concept there of, of the wrath of God against sin and against oppression and even oppressors. Um, I think where, where some people have a problem with that is they say, well, both those who are oppressed and those who are the oppressors are God's children. And so I'll throw this question back to you. So how do we, how does God love all of his children, even the ones who are bad? And how do we reconcile his, uh, you know, judgment against the oppressors um, with his love for them? Hmm. Yeah, that that is a um it's a good question. And uh I I would come back with you know going going to to 1 John uh chapter I think it's chapter uh chapter 2 um where where Jesus is is or where John is essentially saying um you know if you say that you know God and do not love your brother, then the mm-hmm. truth is not in you. So I think the, the, the challenge that, which I think the investigative judgment really um, serves a, a great purpose in, in, um, in, in God's plan is, is this idea that there are, Christians or, or people who say they are followers of God, um, mm-hmm. and then there are actually people who are followers of God. And so you have this kind of idea that, um, okay, so how is it that there are so many quote-unquote Christians out there who are not um, loving their brother? You know, they they are not looking out for the widow. They are not caring for the orphan. So there, there has to be some sort of way that um, justly or, or righteously distinguishes the true from the false. And obviously, you know, from the perspective of, if I want to make this a personal thing, um, you know, make it individualistic, then I might be kind of like, oh, you know, this is, you know, is about fear and, and, and God is, is trying to scare me into, into obedience with this concept. But really, like you were just saying, if, if you look at it from, from a global perspective, from the perspective uh, of a God who, who is trying to, you know, reveal himself and his character in this world, um, then the only way he can do that is through, um, his children who are truly reflecting his character. And so how do you distinguish between, you know, the true and the false? And I guess, uh, you know, that that's essentially what you find Jesus talking about when, when he refers to judgment um, quite a bit, really, mm-hmm. through the Gospels. Yeah, and, you know, the other thing is, too, I think that we as um, 21st century uh, people, especially in the Western world, uh, have a hard time reconciling love with accountability. So we think, well, if if I love somebody, I'm not going to hold them accountable. And it's almost like love equals permissiveness. Love equals, you know, you can do whatever you want type of thing. And yet I think that love uh, does not necessarily uh, preclude holding someone accountable. 
or letting them suffer the consequences of their actions. In fact, in a, in a, a world where free choice, where God has given free choice to his creatures as he has, we saw that in the Garden of Eden, um, love requires that God has to allow us to make choices, and those choices have consequences. Um, does God rescue us from the um, the penalty or the uh, does does He rescue us from the ultimate consequence of eternal death if we confess our sins and and He is faithful and just to forgive us? Yes, but for those who want to, as you mentioned, those who aren't really following Jesus, who aren't really believers in Him, and they choose to persistently reject Him, God is not necessarily being unloving by allowing them to to reap what they have sown. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Yeah, and, and I, you know, there was. Let me just uh, uh, pop this little story. And just this last week, there was a. Um, you've heard on the news, of course, the ex-cop Amber Geiger who uh, entered into her neighbor's apartment, a floor above her, and um, shot him in his own apartment. Right, and she was uh, sentenced to you know like ten years in prison for this. Right, and. The victim's brother, after at the sentencing hearing, um, after he gave his victim impact statement, said, "Can I hug, you know, Amber Geiger, the woman who killed my brother?" So the judge gave permission. He walked across and he gave this woman a hug and he said, "I forgive you." And I, I think it's like our society doesn't know what to do with that because to, to a lot of people, love means you agree with everything somebody does. Forgiveness means you're justifying what someone has done, but that doesn't necessarily mean that. It doesn't mean that at all. If it doesn't have to mean that, right? You can have justice and accountability at the same time as you can have love and forgiveness. And um, I think that was an interesting example to me of here. Here's someone being held accountable. She's going to go to prison for ten years. Whether you think that's too light of a sentence or too heavy of a sentence, whatever, that's not the issue here. She's going to be held accountable to some extent, at least. And yet the brother is forgiving her at the same time and he's showing love to her. And I think God embodies that perfect blend of love and, and mercy and justice. Yeah. And I think the, the issue then isn't so much that, um, you know, we're condemned for our sins. And that's, I think that's something that another thing that people misunderstand about the gospel, you know, if you go to, um, to John chapter three, for instance, and, uh, and, and of course, the, the classic um, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So there you have this kind of big picture, you know, blanket statement of, of God offering forgiveness um, and eternal life for those who believe in him. Uh, but then you see verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So again, you see this idea that, okay, so, so not only does God save us, but he's not condemning us. Um, and, and then, so the question then is, well, what are we condemned for? Right? So, so if, if we're not condemned for our sin, because Jesus already took care of that, you know, because God so loved the world that he gave Jesus, uh, and essentially he does take the, the consequence, like you were saying, he, he's the one who, who takes the prison sentence, right? for the, for the mm-hmm. murder. Um, and, and, and in terms of the, the cosmic, um, uh, penalty, you, you agreed that there's, there's earthly consequences that, um, forgiveness doesn't necessarily take away, but, but right. from the, from a, you know, eternal perspective, you know, that that's essentially what, why the gospel is good news. It's, it's something that we don't have to do to, mm-hmm. to, to earn. It's, it's given to us. And so, so right. if we're not condemned for that, for the sin that put Jesus on the cross, uh, what are we condemned for? Well, then verse 18, right? He says, um, um, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And here he is, verse 19, and this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so this, I think, is at the crux of it, right? It's not, it's not that God uh, is, is looking to, to condemn us. It's that he's done everything for us, and yet, despite that, 
you know, the rejection of that, of that forgiveness, the rejection of the, of the, um, the mercy, um, essentially, uh, is manifested through the way we mistreat one another. Hmm. Wow. So you're kind of segging into another area that I think is really interesting. And that is how we treat each other and how our relationship with God affects that basically. Right. Yeah. I think that, you know, especially from this idea that, um, you know, from an Adventist point of view, um, you know, 1844 marked the beginning of the investigative judgment. And, and so a lot of people look at that as like, okay, so what does that mean? You know, what, mm-hmm. what, what practical significance does that even have on my life today in 2019? I mean, we're getting ready to celebrate the 175th anniversary of 1844. And, uh, and so, you know, when you think about it just from, a, uh, I'm not even, I'm not, you're, you're, the, you're the, you're the, you're the lawyer, uh, punitive or, or what's the, 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 you know, the word for, um, you know, the legal justice side of it, you know, just purely, um, um, retro retributive justice point of view, um, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, the, then I would say 1844 just kind of, you know, the idea of a, of a judgment isn't that significant. But but if you're looking at it from the perspective of like okay this is really a an opportunity to 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 see how we are treating one another and and that is is essentially what you know we're we're looking more towards instead of you know an internal purity which you know I'm not saying there there's not that's not part of it but but it's manifested in how we treat one another. And, uh, and so that essentially becomes the issue, right? As you, as you study Bible prophecy is that our outward, um, behavior becomes a measurement of our inward relationship with God. And, um, and, and and I don't know, I mean, that, that's kind of how I see it. If, if that's what you were, um, getting at. You know, yes. Here's the thing. I mean, for me, my 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 relationship with God, my religion, my faith, my spirituality has boiled down to some pretty simple things in the last few years for me. Um, stuff that I'm just seeing in the Bible. I'm like, wow, this is this is really the, the foundation of it all. This is the essence of what it means to follow Jesus. And it reminds me of, of Jesus's words in in Matthew. 7 verse 12, where he said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them to do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. I mean, so Jesus himself is telling us our relationship with other people, how we treat them, is really the essence of what he is all about, what the law and the prophets that he inspired have been trying to tell us all this time. Um, you know, we, we go back to the little epistle of first John seems like we're talking about that a lot today. Um, first John chapter three is all about that. You know, if you love God, it will be manifested in how you treat your fellow human beings. So yeah, when we talk about judgments, um, that's a really interesting perspective to look at it from. And, and by the way, if, uh, if I could, Malachi chapter three is a very interesting passage that kind of brings the concept of pre-advent judgment and uh, justice, how we treat our fellow human beings, social justice, if you will. It brings those two concepts together. Is it okay if I read that? Oh, yeah, definitely. So Malachi three verse one, I'm reading from the uh, international version. It starts out, it says, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come, says the Lord Almighty. And uh, so early Adventists looked at this passage and they were studying Daniel chapter 7, for example, where it talks about the 
um, thrones being set in place, the Ancient of Days um, taking a seat in a throne of judgment, the books being opened. And then it talks about in verse 13 about how the uh, Son of Man, representing Jesus, comes uh, before the Ancient of Days, which is God the Father, in this judgment. And and they they connected it with, with this passage here in Malachi chapter 3 where it's talking about the Lord coming to his temple as Jesus went from the holy place of the temple into the most holy place of the temple um, on the cosmic day of atonement that uh, Adventists understood as beginning in uh, October, on October 22, 1844. And, and so here the Lord is coming to his temple. And as you go on down through this passage, God talks about what he's going to be judging about in verse 5 of Malachi chapter 3. So he says, I will come to put you on trial. I will be quick to testify against sorcerers, adulterers, and perjurers, against those who defraud laborers of their wages, whoa, who oppress the widows and the fatherless, and deprive foreigners among you of justice. But do not fear me, says the Lord Almighty. And so God clearly cares about how we treat others, especially the disadvantaged those who are um, considered the least of these among us. And it's connected here, of course, with this pre-Advent concept of judgment. If you, you know, look at the totality of, of what the Bible has to say about that. Yeah. And, and I think you see that all through the teachings of Jesus. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he constantly is bringing up this concept of, of a, a dividing time of, of a judgment um, whether it's the wheat and the tares parable that he told in Matthew 13. In that same chapter, he has the parable of the dragnet, where you, you're having the, the fisherman essentially getting this whole bag full of, or this net full of, of stuff, and he's kind of you know picking out what's good and what's not good. Obviously, he keeps the stuff that he can sell or eat and, and throws everything else away. Um, again, and of course, you know, the obvious teaching of Jesus that, that comes to mind um, based on, on what you were just reading from Malachi is is the classic um, um, separation of the of the sheep and the goats, right? Where Jesus mm-hmm. um, actually describes um, this this time where where uh, you know and we can tell they're believers, right? It's not like you know these are these are people that are um, you know ignorant uh, of what God's commandments are they're not ignorant of of what the bible teaches you know the great white throne judgment at the end uh, of time you know it's clearly a a distinguishing line between those who who make it into heaven and and those who don't you know before at, at jesus is coming and and so those who come in you know he says it um are are those um he calls the those on my right hand the sheep, and uh, you know what does he say? He says uh, he says in in Matthew chapter um, twenty five, um, starting in verse um, thirty four. He says, "Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world.'" Um, and so this is this is the group that that essentially um, is is the group taken to heaven. I mean, when when did the righteous inherit the kingdom? It's it's when he comes and 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 uh, in the clouds and and the wicked are destroyed and, and the righteous um, enter into heaven. Uh, we've talked about that on on many previous episodes here on this podcast. And so, what is the criteria? Um, he says, "For I was hungry and you gave me." food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's just all through the teachings of Jesus. Definitely. 
And as we go back to the Old Testament, well, actually, before we go back to the Old Testament, I was thinking about a passage you brought up uh, when we were talking uh, before we started recording today, uh, James chapter five, right? Where uh, James, the brother of Jesus, who's writing his little letter, um, talks about how the, the rich are oppressing the poor and how in verse four, it says the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord almighty. And it's um, basically talks about how God is going to hear these cries of, of the labors of the oppressed of the poor. And he's going to sit in judgment on those who have oppressed, which, which takes us back as well, I think to, to the, investigative or the pre-advent judgment, because in Daniel chapter seven, you have this, this picture again of, you know, a judgment being set, you know, in heaven, it appears God is sitting there on his throne. Books are open. So this is not a judgment with people present, but books, which presumably have a record of actions of those people. And, um, and then the son of course comes before him. But what's interesting in Daniel chapter seven is it talks about what this judgment is about, or at least what the result of this judgment is. And if you look in verse, well, if you if you look at the whole chapter, you've got the four beasts, right, that come up out of the sea, and then that little horn that comes out of that fourth beast. And what does that little horn do? He's oppressing the people mm-hmm. of God, That's right? right? He's oppressing those who are the poor, the downtrodden, the least of these, those who are followers of Jesus. And, and so in, in chapter Seven verse twenty-one. It says, "As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them." Verse twenty-two. Until the ancient of days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. So this is obviously spanning the time prior to the you know it's, it's talking about the pre-advent judgment all the way to the executive judgment when the people of God actually received the kingdom. I, I think it's it's powerful because God is on the side of the oppressed. And Daniel 7 is all about judgment on the oppressors, judgment on the persecutors of God's people. You jump over to Revelation, and that same theme continues, right? Because you've got Revelation 13, you've got the, the two beasts there, these kingdoms, these nations that are waging war against God's people. And you go to chapter 14, and it talks about there's a message that goes out saying the hour of his judgment has come. God's going to judge those who oppress his people. And then you get to Revelation 18, and what does God do? Even before he comes back, he, he starts to uh, levy judgments against Babylon, which represents false religion. Um, there's the seven plagues. There's the, um, the pictures there, the, the, the word pictures that Revelation 18 describes of Babylon receiving her just dues. And uh, it's a pretty amazing picture. But in the midst of it, you've got verse 4 of Revelation 18, where he talks about another voice in heaven saying, come out of her, my people, right? So God has his people, and uh, he is a father who is going to defend his children. And and you see it all throughout Scripture, and judgment's a part of that. Yeah, and I think you you also see this theme of, you know, too much who, too much who have been given, much is required, right? So, mm-hmm. um and why, you know, why does God seem to require more from those who's given more to, um, you know, that that's another part of the judgment, right? It's like, it's like he has done, he's blessed people, you know, those of us who have been blessed. And, um, you know, I think, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, when, when we, when we live in a world, a, a country and, and, and in our situation, um, you know, from a place of privilege, it's it's hard, I think, sometimes to to relate to to someone who is oppressed, and we have a hard time if we haven't been oppressed in 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 a way that uh, you know the Bible often describes. It's really hard, I think, to to um, to have empathy, to have sympathy to to some of these passages. But but when I read those, I think about you know what what, what God, like you were saying at the beginning. The reason God uh, gives us these gifts that He privilege He gives us these privileges is so that we will go 
and rescue the perishing, that we will go and feed the hungry, that we will go and clothe the naked. You know, he's doing these things for for his people so that they will in turn um, share that with others. And, and, um, and it makes him upset, not, you know, in the sense of, you know, oh, you know, you're, um, you know, I think from the classic kind of fear-based sense of, 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 of just of judgment, but, mm-hmm. but from the sense of, look, I have the, I have, I have children over here too. And I've given you this and that, whether it's the gospel, whether it's resources, whether it's education, and I've given these things to you and you're hoarding them to yourself. So it's not just literal riches that you, like you were reading from James chapter five, but it can be spiritual riches. It can be educational riches. It's, it's <clears throat> this idea that, that he has, he has blessed us. And then what are we doing with it? You know, what, wow. um, and, and, uh, I'm, I'm kind of a fan of David Platt. I don't know if you're, mm-hmm. uh, um, familiar with yeah, him. I am. Um, but he's, he's recently um, written a book called Something's Gotta Change. And um, I was listening to uh, an interview on the Carrie Newhoff podcast where he came on. Uh, it was a couple weeks ago. It's a great interview. Definitely recommend checking it out. And, uh, and he was talking in this podcast um, about how when he was over in um, the Himalayan mountains and he was doing some mission work over there, um, just the abject poverty, not just in, you know, the physical needs, but, but just the, the spiritual ignorance. And, um, and it, he was describing this moment where he um, just kind of was reflecting on what he was witnessing um, as he was hiking these, these uh, mountain trails and, and like literally just kind of breaking down and, and crying, you know, uh, for what he was seeing. And I was, and I was listening to that and I was like, wow, um, you know, how often do we weep for the oppressed? You know, how often do we, um, you know, do, does the, the, the fate of, of those who are, um, in situations that are, are almost, you know, unimaginable, um, you you know, how, how often do we, do we go there in our minds, you know, or do we just ignore it? And and then, you know, based on that, you know, no wonder God gets angry, right? I mean, no wonder, you know, Jesus wants to come so badly um, because, you know, he's just witnessing all this suffering, and yet his people, uh, too often, uh, at least his professed people, are are just kind of uh, twiddling their thumbs. You know, just saying, "Hey, I've, I'm enjoying my life. Thank, thank you very much." That's profound. Yeah, I mean, let's just kind of zoom way out and think about why we're here to begin with. You know, God created a perfect world. Uh, his two first human creatures that he made in his own image um, chose to buy the lie that Satan sold them. And as a result, they suffered the consequence of being expelled from the garden of Eden, um, you know, barred from the tree of life. Right. And then they suffered um, death, the first death, which is what, you know, is, is a consequence of, of this thing called sin where we all have a part of Jesus steps in. Of course, the Bible says he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And he provides, he provides this, this salvation that we can, we can choose to accept or reject. And it's, um, if you think about the people that will be in heaven, the Bible describes them there in Matthew 25, the passage you just, you read part of for us. Why is it that the people that will be in heaven will be like that? And I think you've you've alluded to this, if not said it, and that is that you know God wants. Well, let's put it this way: I, I don't think we would fit into heaven unless what breaks God's heart breaks our hearts. Mm. You know, unless mm. our character is one that's like His, unless we love like Him, we wouldn't fit in there. We wouldn't be happy there. We'd just be back to square one, which is you know would would be a big mess again. And so God. Um, 
you know, the people in Matthew 25, what's really interesting is, is they're not doing these things to gain salvation. They're just doing them. In fact, when Jesus comes, he's like, well, uh, you know, you did all these things for me. And they're like, well, wait, where were you? We didn't, we didn't see you. We didn't recognize you. And Jesus is like, well, yeah, I know that's the point. You were doing it though, because it was in your heart to do it, right? You weren't doing it to get brownie points. It was a natural impulse um, of, of, you know, because of, of my renewing your heart, basically. And, and I think that is, is the beautiful thing about the gospel is that God changes us to start looking at, at things like he does. And I love what you're talking about there about, you know, weeping over oppression. I mean, that gets to the heart of it. Yeah, and I think that's that's the nuance, right, of, of the judgment. It's not just about what we've done, but what we're not doing. Um, and, um, you know, you can pretend a lot by not doing things. I think as a country right now, we're, even as a church, you know, we're, we can say that we are not, let's say, for instance, racist or sexist or um, xenophobic or, or whatever, you know, you want to throw in there. Um, and, and that may be true, right? We may not be harboring these feelings of um, superiority or, or um, you may not be looking down on somebody based on their race, religion, background, gender, Um but are we for them? You know, are we, are we actively trying to, to, to fight against the oppression? You know, are we just kind of saying, well, I'm not oppressing, so therefore I am um, somewhat absolved from, from, the, uh, from judgment on this. But, but when you look at these passages and when you see God's heart and you, and you understand um, that judgment isn't about just condemning um, transgression, but it's also about condemning um, indifference. And, mm-hmm. and and wow, you know, then then that really, I think, uh, at least for me, it, it, you can't hide um, behind this kind of uh, this 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 pious. Um, um, you know, white collar privileged life and say, Hey, I'm, I'm doing good and, and uh, I'm not hurting anyone. So therefore, you know, I'm doing my part. I think the, the, the call that, that, you know, uh, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come, um, should also force us to, to look around, you know, and to see what, well, what am I actively doing to, to um, represent God in this world. And, and I don't think you can really say uh, as Christians that we're representing him if we're kind of indifferent or, or um, you know, you know to, to the needs of, uh, of the oppressed. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah, and it makes me, you know, look at my own life more closely and say, man, how can I, how can I be the hands and feet of Jesus more in my life, you know? Um, I don't think we can ever sit back and say, all right, I'm, you know, I'm doing everything I can. God wants to, and it's not, it doesn't, it shouldn't come from a place of, of like guilt and condemnation. It should come from a place of how can I live to bless others? You know, Jesus has done so much for me. How can, how can I show that love to other people? And in, in the process, of course, I'm showing love to him. Exactly. And of course, you know, when we say this, we're not just talking about, um, kind of a humanistic, oppression, humanistic suffering that, that, you know, we can all agree that, you know, there are abject needs, um, all around us. Um, and and non-religious people can even recognize that. But, but if we really actually believe the gospel, right, if we really believe that, um, that there's, there's a heaven and, and eternity for the, for the righteous and for those who, who accept Jesus Christ and for those who, who have, um, uh, you know, experience the conversion of the Holy Spirit and and are um, being transformed into the image of Christ. You know, if, if we see that as, um, you know, something desirable for ourselves, um, 
you know, why would we hold that to ourselves as well? You know, I, I think there, you know, this, it, it gets into this kind of idea of, of, of hoarding even, even the gospel. Right. And, and, and I know that today more than ever, I think, especially millennials, I remember I was, I was reading a, a Barna study uh, on millennials and um, Gen Z and uh, you know, just, I think it was like something crazy, like 66%, you know, didn't, think they, uh, it was right for them to, 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 uh, to evangelize, you know, or to, to, to share their faith, uh, with somebody else was, was uncomfortable, an idea for them. And, and it's like, well, how can, how can we say that, that it, we, what we believe is good news if we're, you know, unwilling to share that? Um, and, and so I think it goes both ways. Um, mm-hmm. and, and you see it, you know, with, the, um, you know, it tends, we tend to be un, be un, what's the word, uh, not balanced, you know, we're either all gospel and, and no, uh, you know, social justice or we're all social justice and no gospel, but, but really, um, they, they, they shouldn't be separated, um, from each other. Right. Well, and I mean, the, the concept of social justice is that you're working to make society better and more just. And we know that as as believers in in the Bible and in Jesus, that this world is um, going to come to an end at some point. That things are going to get worse before they get better, and and yet, so there's that there's this tension of you know working in the here and now to make this world better, while also realizing that uh, this world is going to come to an end at some point. Right. And um, so, yeah, social justice by itself is is empty, but social justice coupled with the gospel is is hopeful. It makes a difference in the here and now in people's lives. Um, It shows disinterested love and kindness without an agenda, without manipulation. You know, we're not here to just be kind to you if you accept Jesus or if you'll come to my church. It's just we love you. And that love in itself is the goal. but the gospel by itself, without manifesting, like you're saying, uh, love in, in, in works of mercy and in deeds of, of kindness, and uplifting people, sharing the gospel with people, helping them in practical ways, that's, that's not the gospel. I mean, the Bible's full. Isaiah chapter 58 is a great, great example of a rebuke to a church that was all about religion. It was all about ceremony. It was all about... Uh, fancy liturgy, but meanwhile, they're cheating their workers, they're treating people badly, and God said, this isn't, you know, your religion is worth nothing. Um, you know, there's a little quote I wanted to share that kind of ties this in, what we were talking about earlier and even right now, the concept of, you know, who God is and why he why he cares about the people that that come to heaven, you know, Matthew 25, those who are coming versus those who aren't, those who are going to to be in heaven are the ones who have been treating the least of of these um, with kindness and love. Those who aren't going to be there are those who uh, haven't done that. They didn't want that. It wasn't part of who they were. And, And there's this quote from a little book called Acts of the Apostles, great book on the early church. And it says this, it says the completeness of Christian character is attained when the impulse to help and bless others springs constantly from within. It is the atmosphere of this love surrounding the soul of the believer that makes him a saver of life unto life and enables God to bless his work. Um, Wherever there is an impulse of love and sympathy, wherever the heart reaches out to bless and uplift others, there is revealed the working of God's Holy Spirit. Actually, that last part's from a book called Christ Object Lessons, a great little devotional book as well. So, yeah, this concept of just this impulse, that is really, I think, the result of, of God's salvation. When, when someone accepts his free gift of grace, these impulses start to become part of their lives. Amen. Yeah, and I would say, you know, just going back to... Um, you know, connecting what you're doing with, uh, with due justice. Um, it, it really does connect with the, um, 
with the investigative judgment, with with the um, kind of uh, bringing God's people together to to represent Him in in the last days. You know, I, I see, uh, you know, what what God is really trying to do um, is, you know, you think about, well, okay, so what's what's really going on here? Um, you know, we're 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 talking about a a movement into um, from from the from the cross um, to the to the uh, to the holy place to the most holy place, and you and you see this progression um, uh, as as a, a a coming closer and closer to God's presence, right? So so you know, a one way of looking at this is that you know, what is God doing in the last days? You know, yeah, judgment is kind of maybe a, a negative uh, or, or it has a, a negative connotation to it for a lot of people. But in other ways, it, it's, it's a bringing to, to, the, to the presence of God, his people. You know, it's, 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 an, it's, an invite, it's an invitation into his presence in the most holy. And, and as we as we walk in his presence, you know, and, and it goes back to that statement in Micah 6, 8, you know, we will, you know, what happens when, when we are living our lives in the most holy, you know, when we're living our lives in, in a, in a position of, 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 of where God is, is reigning supreme in the life of his people, you know, you, you, you do justly. Um, it, it, it's, that is our our um our actions right that just what you were describing there in in the quote from acts of the apostles you know we we're wanting it, it's kind of this this impulse to do what is right you know we want to it's not something we feel like we have to do is we want to do what is right because you know we're in god's presence and then we love mercy you know not only are we wanting to do what is right but we're 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 not condemning others for doing wrong, you know, we're, we're, we're for them. We're for the world around us. We're, we're not, we're not pointing the finger, even though we're holding ourselves to a standard, uh, of righteousness that, that God places on our heart. We're, we're, we're being merciful to those around us and, and we're reaching down as low as we have to go to reach people where they're at. Um, and the only way we can do that, um, is to, is, is with that humility to walk humbly before our God. So I see that text, um, that is kind of the the I would say the you know, probably your main text for your podcast, um, but I see that as connected to kind of the the result of the judgment. It's 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 God's work in His people, and and it's really the the manifestation of His character that the world uh, needs to see. You know, because how can God really be just to come? You know, because you think about it, right? He's coming. And everybody who is not, um, you know, ready, so to speak, um, uh, is not going to heaven, right? So how can God be just in in allowing, you know, so many people to to potentially perish um, at His coming? Well, there has to be this radical manifestation of God's character, right? There has to be this just dramatic. Um, expression of his love to the world so much so that that the reason that people are lost is not because going back to that to statement in John chapter three, it, it's not because of, of their sin. It's because they are literally rejecting the love of God through through His people, and um, and I, I think we have a hard time sometimes. Uh, you know, seeing the activeness of of this um, this judgment, it, it, we see it passively as something we have to endure, or maybe we can hope to to make it through. When the reality is, I think it's it's a uh, it's it's you know, if we're on God's side, you know, it's it's something to look forward to. I think what the judgment does for me personally is it leads me to as the Bible says, examine myself to see whether I'm in the faith, right? And, and for me, in the context of what we've been talking about, 
Um, and just what God has kind of, I guess, for me, boiled the essence of the gospel down to, or the essence of what it means to be a Christian, live a Christian life. It means to, to ask myself, am I an oppressor? Mm. You know, am I part of the problem here? Um, yes, I, I profess belief in Jesus. I profess that I trust him for my salvation. And I, and I do, um, what is, is, is that being manifested in my life? And so I, that's, I think for me, what the judgment is, it's a time to, um, repent, you know, to seek, to be, to love my neighbor as I love myself, because if we're honest with ourselves, we, none of us do that perfectly. You know, we, we attempt, but there's a lot of selfishness and whatever involved. Um, you know, you, you said something interesting about how the, you know, the world, um, how can God, you know, how can people be lost and God be just and, and, you know, there's this radical love that people have seen and, and they've had to have rejected that, you know, before they, they could be lost. And I think it, kind of, it goes along with a little statement here. One of my favorites, um, again, from another devotional book called thoughts from the Mount of blessings. Um, if I could share this, um, I think it would, it kind of goes along with what we're talking about. Um, it says the standard of the golden rule do unto others as you'd have them do unto you is the true standard of Christianity. Anything short of it is a deception, a religion that leads men to place a low estimate upon human beings whom Christ has esteemed of such value as to give himself for them. A religion that would lead us to be careless of human needs, sufferings, or rights is a spurious religion. In slighting the claims of the poor, the suffering, and the sinful, we are proving ourselves traitors to Christ. Search heaven and earth, and there is no truth revealed more powerful and that which is made manifest in works of mercy to those who need our sympathy and aid. This is the truth as it is in Jesus. When those who profess the name of Christ shall practice the principles of the golden rule, the same power will attend the gospel as in apostolic times. And, and that, that last little part always gives me goosebumps because it's just like, whoa, here is, here's the secret to power in the church, right? Uh, we're always wondering, well, what, what's, what's wrong? Why aren't people being converted to God? And it's like, well, God, please help us to love our neighbors ourselves. And I think that'll start happening. I mean, I, I couldn't say it any better. I mean, there's so many, um, I think rabbit holes, um, that, that we, we go down as Christians and, and we're trying to to figure out, you know, why, why are people leaving the church? Why is the church, like you just said, you know, why is, why does it lack power? Why does it seem like, uh, it's a struggle to be relevant in this world? And, um, and I, I think we're, we're, we're just talking about everything except the elephant in the room. And, uh, and it's uncomfortable, um, you know, kind of going back to, to the beginning of our conversation, it's uncomfortable to um, talk about it because, um, you know, it, it's 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 one thing to to say, well, if you know, if, if it's a strategy, right? Oh, we're we're just, you know, we need to do this or we need to do that, and and that's that's why the church isn't growing or or that's why we we're not getting the message out there, but. But to really say, hey, the reason it's not going out is because we are simply not reflecting Christ. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we, you know, and going back to the idea of examining ourselves, you know, well, well, isn't that what the children of Israel did during the Day of Atonement? Isn't that what they did for those three days? They they examined themselves. They they fasted and prayed, and they confessed their sins. And and and, and so again, it. What is the purpose? of us doing that, um, you know, if we're not doing it for selfish reasons, which ultimately if we're Christian, that has to be the case. So then we're not examining ourselves so that, um, you know, we can, you can, we can stand up and say, Hey, I'm sinless. You know, I'm perfect. No, mm -hmm. we're, we're mm -hmm. doing it so that there's, we're removing the barriers, uh, between us and God so that we can, we can we can be lights in the world. We can, we can go out and relieve uh, the suffering and, 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 and be the, the hands and feet of Jesus, which really is the only way 
um, when you think about it, right, that our message is going to have any meaning whatsoever. I mean, I just cannot see the gospel having any significance in this world uh, detached from a a um, a people who who genuinely love their neighbor more than more, at least as much as they love themselves. Like you were just saying. Well said. Yeah, man. Good stuff, man. Well, thanks, man. I mean, this has been awesome, and we could talk about this uh, all day long. But I think uh, we covered a lot um, in in the hour that uh, we spent together today, Steve. <laughs> Um, and, uh, you know, just, uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast today. Hey, thanks so much, Travis. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for listening to this episode of Adventology. Our goal on this podcast is for you to be ready for Jesus. And the best way to be ready for Jesus is to spend time getting to know him. Knowing Jesus is everything. That is why we spent the time today studying the investigative judgment with attorney Steve Alred. But don't just take my word for it. Study it out for yourself. And for a hands-on experience, I encourage you to check out our website, adventology.com, where you can find transcripts from many of our other episodes and receive my free ebook, Seventh Day Rest, just for signing up for our mailing list. You can also support us through Patreon, or find us on Facebook. Also, if you like this episode, share it with a friend. Or better yet, please leave a rating or review from wherever you downloaded this podcast from. All right, well, I enjoyed our time together today, and I look forward to seeing you in our next episode when we will continue our study in the book of Daniel in chapter 2, examining what I call the Rosetta Stone of Bible prophecy. Maranatha. Maranatha.